HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Enjoy food the way nature intended. Alaska Seafood, wild, natural, and sustainable. For more information, visit wildalaskaseafood.com. I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, jumping in to tell you about this week's episode of Meat and Three, Heritage Radio Network's weekly food roundup. This week, we're introducing you to some amazing women taking a stand. So often, being sexually harassed feels like a loss of control, and so I wanted to have these very tangible guides to say, here's what you can do. Others are pushing for more diversity at major food industry events. I still feel really determined to do, you know, whatever I can to help shift that and in a direction that's not just more diverse, but more equitable. We also have a report on that summer business staple, the lemonade stand. The lemonade stand might be the purest form of starting a business. Low overhead, easy to get into, and requires little experience or special equipment. Don't miss Meat and Three, your weekly 15-minute food news roundup from HRN. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. Search M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E. And thanks, as always, for listening. Hey, and welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. And on today's episode, we mix up a Negroni cocktail as Campari, the storied Italian biddle liqueur, celebrates Negroni Week. And you can go to NegroniWeek.com to find out more info about that. So it only makes sense to speak about or speak to three Negroni ambassadors as analogy to the cocktail's one-to-one-to-one recipe ratio. First, we're going to have a quick conversation with Gary Gaz-Regan, who recounts in his book, The Negroni, what this century-old tale of Count Negroni's order at a bar in Milan uh, did to change the face of cocktail culture. We'll sit at the bar with Naren Young of Dante in New York City's West, East, West Village. It's in that weird nexus. Whose cocktail list boasts a Negroni on tap as aperitivos and digestivos in his all-day eatery. And then across from me right now, Souther Teague of Amori and Margo and Heritage Radio Network's The Speakeasy every Wednesday at 2 is in studio to iterate on the classic cocktail and create contemporary variations while we stay true to the Negroni's bitter past. So 
first, I just want to give a little context about why we're even having a Negroni show, aside from it being Negroni week. So uh, I got married and had been with my wife for about a decade uh, prior to actually, you know, uh, going through the ceremony. And for years, we've lived down the street from this bar called Brooklyn Social. It's on Smith Street and Carroll Gardens, Cobble Hill, that whole Bocaco area. And they are known for their Negroni. They are known for many drinks that are very simple. Um, You know, the verbiage or the amount of ingredients underneath what the cocktail is, is not that long, but it's so right and so perfected and done with such ease that we'd go there, you know, after work for an Apero Negroni or late night for multiple Negronis and sit out on their back porch. And it just was magical. So it, it, it only seemed right that after we got married the wedding party shifted to Brooklyn Social and we took that thing over and we drank them out of Negronis. And I feel really proud that my friends and family could do that with us. But I remember having that last Negroni, even though they locked the back door, I think we snuck out for one more, uh, sipping that and how it meant so much to me in in a way that it's this drink that has been a part of my relationship with my wife, my relationship with Brooklyn, my relationship with cocktail culture. But it's something that I can replicate and do for myself, but oddly choose not to. Uh, I will make a couple at the house, but actually my wife will. She's a much better cocktail maker than I. But what's so great is that you can have this cocktail, order it around the world, and know exactly what you're getting. And a large part of that is due to the fact that Campari is certainly a constant So Campari is this Italian liqueur considered to be an aperitif. It's an infusion of herbs and fruit. It's bitter, it's dark, it's red. It's an icon of Italian style and excellence. And it began in 1860. But it wasn't really until the early 1900s, 1919 to be exact, that this man, this Count Negroni, and we'll recount who he is in a second, ordered a Negroni. Or it wasn't even called that then. It was an Americano, which is Campari, a little bit of vermouth, and some soda water. And he decided to replace that soda water with gin. Now, that, that is quite a drink order to take one of the elements out, the non-alcoholic, and put that much more alcohol in. But the Negroni, though derived from an Americano, and we can go into even more depth about that, because the Americano probably came uh, was the Milano Torino before that when it was equal parts Martini Rossi and Campari and maybe even a Torino Milano before that. But you can read Gaz's book, The Negroni, to find out more. But this this one-to-one-to-one is, is such a perfect ratio. It's unforgettable. It's, it's, it's so easy, but creates such complexity and balance. And with that, I'm going to read a little part of Gary Regan's book because you have to know who this Count Negroni really is. In the account, we find Davis, and Davis is Bob Davis from the Spokane Chronicle. In 1928, he, he's lost in the back roads of the Italian countryside, being driven by an Italian-speaking chauffeur with whom he cannot communicate. Frustrated, Davis leaves the car and soon stumbles across a striking figure on horseback. There is nothing unusual about a man astray, a cayuse. But when the rider wears a quirt, a short-handled riding whip with a braided leather lash, looped to his right wrist, and the horse is champing a Spanish bit, and is covered well up with the withers with a Mexican saddle, it is a signal, 
At least to me, that my native tongue is due and collectible, Davis writes. You speak English, I boldly say. You're darn tooting, I do, hombre. And that was the Count Negroni. So we're going to go to a quick recording that I did earlier with Gary Gazregan about the Negroni. What is an Americano and what made it a Negroni? Well, the Americano is uh, sweet vermouth, Campari, and club soda. And the Count told the bartender to leave out the club soda and add gin instead. And there the Negroni was born. <laughs> um, and, and the Count was a tough man. Um, so I can imagine the, it's such a romantic vision of this guy. Now, he was an Italian Count, but he had lived in America in the late, eight, uh, 19, the late 1800s. And he was a cowboy. He rode the reins. He was a tough mother. Um, so I can just see him saying, so that the song is giving gin instead. It makes complete sense. You do wonder why he needed more booze in a drink that already had two parts. Uh, yeah, but neither of those parts are very strong, remember. Mm-hmm. It's not like there's no spirit in it. So he really put a lot more alcohol in there by adding the gin. Let's talk about Campari because... It is almost eponymous with the Negroni nowadays. If not, most people order a Negroni expecting Campari. When did that relationship begin? Well, as, as far as I know, it began the second that Count Negroni ordered his first Negroni cocktail <laughs> because they were using Campari in, so we're talking about 1919 or thereabouts. So it's always got to be Campari if you want a truly authentic Negroni. I've been lucky enough to travel a little bit, and I went to a place called Barbasso, um, which I believe was in Milan. And they serve this Negroni Spagliato in a chalice as big as your head that you have to have two hands to hold up to be able to drink. <laughs> and it was such a wonderful thing. And again, it's derivative of the Negroni, which is derivative of other things. How many iterations of the Negroni have you seen in your life now? Oh, we've got hundreds. Hundreds. I mean, the, the, when I wrote the Negroni book and I reached out to bartenders worldwide to send me recipes for Negroni variations, they just piled in one after the other after the other. So which ended up in the book? What were your bookends? What was the allure of certain drinks? Well, some, like the white Negroni, uh, you know, that was appealing. Now, that did not have Campari. But it had a bitter component. I'm reading about the Old Pal, um, which is a wonderful drink. Uh, almost feels a little bit stiffer than a straight-up Negroni, but it kind of isn't. Because, again, it's this three parts, one-to-one-to-one. Well, actually, a little more rye whiskey than you would gin, right? There are all these offshoots of Negronis. What are some that you've seen that have established themselves as their own drink? 
Well, the, the biggest one has to be the Boulevardier. Yeah. Which is a bourbon-based Negroni. And that's been around. It was detailed in a cocktail book from France, from Paris, in the early 1900s. And so that's just a bourbon-based Negroni, but it really has its own standing today, as does the white Negroni, really. It's got its own standing. Yeah, and it, it's nice to see that Negroni has internationalized, too. Like you say, the Boulevardier is from you know, a, a Parisian paper or a guide, that it's not just adherent to the Italian aperitif or you know, a certain classification of drink anymore. It, it's so wide-ranging. In, in some ways, Michael, the Negroni became a category of drinks. You know, that original template of one-to-one-to-one, Campari, Vermouth, and Jim, has been used over and over again, playing on that same theme. It started getting popular again in the late 1990s, and that is around the same time as the craft cocktail revolution was starting, and I think bartenders, craft bartenders, glommed onto this as an instant classic. I think Campari is part of that template in a way that people know and trust that brand, so they're willing to take that in whatever form of a Negroni they're ordering, because, again, you know, it's a brand that they know well, and they, they have an expected taste and profile. Well, this is one of the beauties of the popularity of the Negroni, because prior to the Negroni becoming really popular, Campari was always known as something that you had to drink three times before you really appreciated it. Mm -hmm. But somehow, when you marry Campari to gin and sweet vermouth, Everybody loves it. The only thing I do differently when I make a Negroni for myself, and I don't do it very often, but sometimes I go up on the gym. Hey, we'll be right back with some more Negroni action on the food scene. You've been listening to The Food Scene on Heritage Radio Network.org. Think about what it takes to swim a coastline longer than the entire eastern seaboard and leap tall waterfalls in a single bound. What does it take to survive 200 feet deep in icy saltwater? What would you be made of? Wild Alaska seafood is made of tight muscle mass, long chain omega-3s, and incredible micronutrients. It matters where your food comes from. Experience the flavor of the fittest in every bite and enjoy food the way nature intended. Alaska seafood, wild, natural, and sustainable. Ask for Alaska on the menu, grocery store, or smart device. For more information, visit wildalaskaseafood.com. 
Hey, and welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Jerkel, here celebrating Negroni Week with Campari. And I just want to add that Gary Regan, Gaz, uh, just said that he adds a little more gin, but if you actually read the book, he adds four times the amount of gin in his Negroni. So if he were only a count, he'd have a drink named after him. So next up, we're going to talk to Naren Young, who is the proprietor of one of my favorite bars in New York City called Dante. And Dante is, is serves aperitivos, classic cocktails. It's an all-day eatery. You could have salumi, salad, flatbread, pasta. But really, I go there for the extended Negroni list, especially the ones that are on tap. Naren? How you doing? Great, great. Well, I, I want to start with... Your accent, because you're... Thank you, thank you for the compliments. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you're Australian. You spent time uh, working bar in London, then came to New York. Um, have you had Negronis on all those different continents? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it was, it was a drink that I guess I started to appreciate a long time ago. I guess I've been you know, at this game, bartending, and been in the bar industry for almost 25 years. And I guess early on, I just kind of developed this... Uh, appreciation for it. Yeah, so I guess wherever I go, you can. it's one of those classic drinks now where you can pretty much find anywhere, which is great. What's surprising, though, with a drink that is one-to-one-to-one and people assume they know what it is, there are so many iterations. And the first time I ever had a Garibaldi, which uh, uh-huh. I believe is equal parts Campari and fluffy orange juice, and you'll have to explain what fluffy means. Um, sure. And, and I had it for breakfast as well, was at <laughs> your bar. And, you know, uh, even though it isn't a Negroni it's the Campari that starts getting you there. Um, what are the Negroni iterations that you serve throughout the day, and what are the ones to drink for breakfast, then for lunch, and then for dinner? Well, we have about we have about um, twelve on our menu. We started this kind of Negroni sessions um, pretty much straight after we we took over the bar about three years ago. You know, so we we kind of the idea was to kind of open up people's eyes to this kind of this world of Negronis and show them that it doesn't have to be just a classic. There's so many classic riffs that you know um, are kind of famous in the canon of, of um, famous drinks, uh, and then there's some of our own modern interpretations. So within that kind of spectrum of flavor profiles, hopefully we can find something for anybody. You know, because it can be a, quite a polarizing uh, drink for people. You know, Campari and sweet vermouth and gin come together in this beautiful harmony, but it can be quite it can be quite an unusual combination for some people. So I think through our Negroni sessions menu or hoping to, to diversify, we can kind of open up people's eyes to the kind of, you know, the magic of what comes together with when you add other vermouths and amaros and base spirits as well. What's on tap? I mean, what, what spirits do you use for your, you know, on tap cocktail? For our Negroni? Yes. For our classic Negroni? We use um, we use Bombay Sapphire Gin, we use Campari, and we use Martini and Rossi vermouth. So, you know, our... our our uh, base is pretty classic. You know, there's, not, there's no kind of bells and whistles to it. You know, when you, I heard you talking about different ratios um, with Gaz a few minutes ago, and, you know, and I've been lucky enough to, you know, call Gaz a friend for a long time, and we've actually done some seminars together on the Negroni. And, you know, you're right, he, he prefers his with a lot more gin. But our one, we, we, do, it, we do a touch more gin, um, but only a quarter ounce. So, um, you know, we, we, we kind of eschew the whole equal parts ratio only because... I feel that the drink is a little too sweet and a little bit unbalanced in that ratio myself. So our, our recipe at Dante, which has you know, been, I guess, blind tasted in a, you know, as the best Negroni in America, which is very cool, um, is one ounce of gin to three quarters an ounce to three quarters an ounce of Campari and Martini Rossi Sweet Vermouth. You know, being called the best Negroni uh, 
you're giving away a secret, but are you really giving away a secret because, you know, the Negroni itself has not been a secret for so long, and yet it is such a fantastic drink that people can replicate at bars and at home. For sure. I mean, it's one of those classic drinks that is so easy to make. It's really easy to screw up. You know, I, I still stand by my statement that I've never had a bad Negroni. You know, I think that it's, you know, even a bad one is, is, you know, is still pretty good. So, you know, anyone can make it. You don't need a whole, you don't need to spend a lot of money on expensive bar tools. You don't need to buy necessarily that expensive liquor as long as it's just good quality. You know, hopefully if you can get some good quality ice, then you're on your way to making you know, to kind of liquid alchemy, you know, and I think it's, you know, it's a very easy drink to, to get right. So with that statement you just made, I, I'm going to equate Negronis to pizza and sex. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure, um, sure. Why not? One of my favorite Negronis that you make, uh, and I'm not a big coffee drinker, but for some odd reason I love coffee and cocktails is your Negroni coffee swizzle, and that's with uh-huh. mezcal and cold brew. Why, why the decision to bring coffee in there? I don't know. I just think, you know, there's kind of like this marriage of like coffee and, you know, like, Coffee and Campari just seem to go well together, you know. I don't, and, and you know, then also vermouth, you know, dark vermouth, red vermouth, I should say, um, and coffee um, also go great together, you know. And then when you've got this kind of like subtle smoky backbone from the mezcal, you know, and then it's swizzled over crushed ice, it's quite a refreshing drink that still has so many layers of complexity. But it's a drink that you know people really, really resonate with. It's really become one of our most popular variations. And then, what is so unlikely about the unlikely in the Groni? Um, it's unlikely because it just when you when you read the ingredients on paper, it just should not work. There's no reason why, you know, um, you know, coconut and banana and Thai chili and pineapple shrub and sesame um, should all turn up in the same glass with a Negroni. So that is definitely probably our most um, esoteric or polarizing of all the Negronis. But again, people really, really dig it. But then you have things like the Negroni gelato and Negroni cream pie. You have other ways of bringing people to Negroni or bringing people in for Negronis. And tell me about the specials you're running during Negroni week this week. Um, well, we have uh, yeah, we have Negroni gelato. We have a Negroni cream pie, which we buy from, um, um, you know, this is some bakers out in Brooklyn, um, drunk bakers out in Brooklyn, which is they do some great alcoholic desserts. So we got a Negroni pie from them. Um yeah, and we've got a, a beautiful, like, um, like a bottled, what we call a, a Negroni Royale, which is basically a bottled and carbonated champagne Negroni with a little bit of watermelon um, and strawberry shrub in there as well. So that serves it in a bottle, you know, with a straw, with a pretty straw and stuff. It's really, really cute, and really delicious, actually. So, um, And then we also have, you know, our 12 Negronis going. So, uh, you know, we, we're definitely the hub of Negroni activity in New York, if not America, I think, and that's kind of cool that people have really kind of taken to this drink in, in ways that we didn't expect. Excellent. Well, thank you, Naren. I'll be in there morning, noon, and night. Excellent. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Cheers. Thank you. And if you haven't been to Dante, please go. Again, such a wonderful list of Negronis, Negroni on tap, uh, as dessert as well. That kind of leads me into this last part. I have Southern Teague of Amari Amargo, a bitters bar in the, the East Village, as well as Heritage Radio Network's own Speakeasy every Wednesday at 2. That I, I went to Milan. And I got to have this spagliato, this Negroni spagliato, or glass was as big as your head, you know, at Barbasso. And the home of the spagliato. Amazing. It, 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 it's such a fantastic drink. And then, you know, hearing 
Negroni starting going into desserts and savory. And, you know, I, I've had other applications. They're shaved ice at Saxon Parole right now. They've done slushy versions. Um, there was a Negroni ice cream sandwich at Pearl and Ash when it existed oh, yeah. on Bowery, and that was amazing. I just had Campari Rosemary Salume from Red Apron Butchers in D.C. I've had donuts that are Negroni flavored. Yeah. Um, what are the non-cocktail things that you've had Negroni'd, using that as a verb? We... We made a we had a deal with a, a an ice cream company uh, some years ago to Mori Margo where we would make uh, seasonal flavors of ice cream that we would uh, serve at special events. You know we don't we don't actually even do food at a Mori Margo, but we had Negroni ice cream made, which was outstanding. People really enjoyed it. Um, I've had Negroni um, uh, popsicles. Uh, there's a there's a bar that used to be in Williamsburg called Dram. They used to make uh, Campari Negroni popsicles uh, in the summertime. Yeah, it's a great thing. It's because it it is bitter, right? But like at Amori Margo, I, I I come across this all the time. People want to talk to me about how the word amaro means bitter, uh, and but but that's just a direct translation of the word. The thing amaro is bittersweet liqueur. So you have to remember that that, that it's bitter, but it's also sweet. It's balanced, so that it's drinkable. So I can see how it plays. It toes the line between sweet and savory, and you can use it kind of anywhere. For a drink that's almost a century old, I feel like a lot of people end up trying to uh, find the faults and say, well, Negroni would be better as this, would be better as that. Uh, your cohort on the speakeasy and uh, wonderful bartender at Grand Army, Damon Bolte, um, was nice enough to give me a recipe for balsamic Negroni uh, for my book Acid Trip, all about vinegar. And the reason I think the balsamic works in there is because sometimes the sweet elements get stripped away because of the spirits you're using. So it's it's kind of sure. a great fail-safe. But what do you think people do wrong? Yeah, what do they do incorrectly when trying to make Negroni? I th- so I'm going to agree with, with Naren and say that, you know, it's difficult to make a bad one. Um You've got the sort of golden uh, rule of one to one to one, and you can certainly follow that and have a, a, a very tasty uh, concoction on your hands. Um, at Amori Margo, uh, not unlike Naren, we we boost up the gin. We go higher than him, though. We go one and a half to three quarter to three quarter, so it's two to one to one. But then I also add in Angostura bitters to balance out the fact that the Campari is now a lower quotient, right? Um, but I, I really do think that the Negroni, as you mentioned, like you, you took your whole wedding party. Like that's that's an amazing thing to be able to say about a single drink that everyone was pleased. And I think that 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 the uh, you know crowd pleasing ability comes from its flexibility. If you like it sweeter, up the sweet vermouth. If you like it more boozy, up the gin. If you like it more bitter, up the Campari. You can play with the three components, just like dialing in, you know, uh, the, the treble and the bass on your on your device. You know. Let, let's talk about those variations because I love your bar, Armari and Margo, because on the on the menu, uh, one of the last items is Negroni, and you can have it either classic or customized. Yeah. What does customized mean, and what are the most custom Negronis you made? Um, okay, yeah. So customized at my bar means uh, you can... Uh, I have at least one representative from pretty much every spirit category. You know, I have one bourbon, I have two ryes, I have three rums, uh, you know. Uh, but we don't focus on spirits. But I curate that angle. So we just say the Negroni is a template. It's spirit, vermouth, amaro, and possibly bitters. Uh, so you choose your spirit, um, and then... I have 16-plus vermouths at any given time at Amori Margo. So you can choose a vermouth, and we can talk about why one is more sort of meaty and chewy and why one's more sort of dry and austere. And then I have oh, maybe 250 Amaro right now, right? So that includes, of course, Campari. The, you know, it's more of an aperitif than a digestif, but it's still an Amaro. 
Um, and then, uh, you know, anything from the darker, more herbal fernets or something really crazy like uh, unicum from Hungary, you know, if you want something really herbal. Uh, and then uh, and then we can add in the bitters as well, which I have over 500 of. Um, so there's no, literally no end to the to the possibilities of what we do with the Negroni. One of my favorites, though, um, I serve quite often is called the Waterproof Watch. Um, and we make that one using uh, London Dry Gin. We sub out the Campari for Aperol, which is a little bit lighter and brighter. Uh, you know, Campari's burnt orange and caramel, whereas Aperol's kind of more grapefruit and citrus. Um, and then we uh, we uh, we skip vermouth altogether, and I use another amaro, uh, amaro Montenegro, very light uh, orange blossom and bitter orange amaro. Um, and then I hit it with uh, Dale DeGroff's uh, pimento bitters, which is allspice berries, right? So you get this kind of like almost juicy vibe from the thing, even though it has no juice in it, and it's lighter and brighter. And we don't really do poolside cocktails at Amori Margo, but we call this one the waterproof watch because <laughs> if you're if you're going to get wet, you may as well have this on your hand. So you, you take ownership for that. That is your cocktail that is served at your bar. If you see it some other place, you say, "Oh, that's an Amari Margo," because that leads me into the second Count Negroni. Uh, because right. there is there is you know whether or not it's substantiated or not. Right. Um, well, the, the, the great thing, the great and frustrating thing about cocktail history is that everybody was drinking while it happened, so no one took great, <laughs> no one took great notes. Yeah, but tell me about this second Count Negroni and the, the battle between the two families for ownership. Yeah, I don't know a ton about it. Um, I touch on it in my book, which is coming out in August. Um, I'm just here for the drinks. Uh, I didn't dig too deeply into it, but you brought it up uh, on, the, on the air earlier, and I was like, you know, there were two, right? Um, so there's a second uh, 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 Count Negroni who claims, he, he and his family to, the, to this day, I guess he's gone, but his family to this day still claims that he was the original, uh, uh, you know, the guy who ordered the first Negroni. Um, and these two families, uh, you know, I don't know if fight is the right word, but like they, they there's, con- there's contention, you know, there's, there's some, the, uh, you know, tension between the two families to, to say who's the rightful heir to this throne, so... You know the the un the the poorly documented history of drinking is 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 documented over and over. But then somehow the old pal and the Boulevardier has have existed over time. Sure. Uh, how do iterations of a drink? I mean, obviously it was the Americano first, and some other stuff before that, then the Negroni. But how do, how do these iterations survive the test of time? I think again the bulletproof nature of what you talked about before the Milano Torino, which was which was just uh, or vice versa, which was just Campari and Vermouth. That's a tasty, sessionable, um, you know, it's low, low proof, but very full of flavor, something you can drink kind of all day. And then to say, well, let me, let me punch it up by adding a spirit to the mix. And, you know, you can add, as I just said, you can customize that thing to your own taste. If you're a person who prefers bourbon over gin, then, then take those three things together instead of, instead of the gin. Like, that's, in fact, I think what makes it, what makes the Negroni such a classic and what makes the iterations thereof sort of neoclassics as well. Like, it's the, that sort of bulletproof nature that it, if it's going to work for you, then, then, then that's the way you, you take it, right? You prefer bourbon? Have it with bourbon. You like mezcal? Have it with mezcal. There's no wrong answer. But somehow Campari has become one of the most inelastic aspects of that recipe. Um, have you seen any specific vermouth kind of fall into that place? I'm a Carpano Antica fan. Um, I would say largely that's what the public wants to have. Um, I think uh, Campari wants them to have Cinzano, which is what we're having, <laughs> by the way. I just made a some Negronis while you were chatting with, with Naren. Um, with uh, all Campari products, as you mentioned. Uh, we have Bulldog Gin, Cinzano's uh, 1757 Sweet Vermouth, and, and 
obviously the classic Campari. So you're asking, how did Campari become like the monster, uh, you know, must have in your Negroni? Which, by the way, the one I just described, the waterproof watch, doesn't have it, and we make plenty of custom ones that don't. Um, but the go-to for the public is definitely Campari, and I think that's you know that's business. You know, they were there for the original one, and they've staked their flag in it and their reputation on it, and they. They make a business out of making sure that it remains in their court, right? And it tastes great. And it tastes I great. Mean, you know, it's not. That's... It's not faulted. Yeah, you know? yeah. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Um, you know, uh, you know, the, the people use the argument all the time about ketchup. You know, like uh, why mess with Heinz, right? Hunts is all right, I guess, but why mess with Heinz? There I, it is. I don't even know that other brand. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Campari is in my mind. I, I'm not a huge ketchup eater, but. I, you're right. Like, I would not replace anything with Heinz. And I have this in my cabinet. I know I can make a Negroni out of it. I have other Amaros. I have other vermouths and gins. And sometimes I lean towards another drink. But when I see this, I instantly go Negroni. Of course, yeah. It, it, it speaks to uh, the resilience of the brand. It speaks to the, you know, the long, longevity of them. And, and they're sort of, this is their history. And again, even if we can't identify maybe who who started the ball rolling, these guys are definitely going to keep the ball rolling. So most importantly, do you fruit your Negroni? Is there a slice of orange there? Is there a peel? Um, I'm a twist guy, yeah. I don't necessarily need any of the the, the flesh of the orange getting into my Negroni. Um, uh, I don't need any of that extra juice or, or, or that aspect of it. Um, what I do need is the those oils floating on the top so that the aroma pops and so that I get a great, uh, you know, another layer of bitterness on the first sips because that oil sitting right on top. And what fun things are you doing for Negroni Week? Lots of stuff, actually. We've got uh, Negroni Week happening at all the bars that I oversee right now, which include, of course, Amoria Margo, uh, where we're serving um, what we're calling the Narwhal, uh, which is a, a Negroni that we're making with uh, o- uh, Old Duff Geneva. Uh, my buddy Philip Duff just came out with his own Geneva line, and it's freaking delicious. Um, so we're making uh, Negroni with that. Um, at Mother of Pearl and uh, Cienfuegos, we're doing two different Appleton Estate rum uh, Negronis, uh, one of them sort of a swizzle style over crushed ice, and one of them more traditional over uh, uh, a large cube. And we're also doing a, a fun Negroni riff at uh, the new bar, Blue Quarter. Um, uh, but we're doing, uh, and we're doing a classic one there because we're, we're wanna, we've only opened 19 days ago, so we're trying to stay true, <laughs> true to the classic as well as like step into the step into the modern day. I mean, who knew that a drink invented on the eve of Prohibition had kind of gained popularity after World War II, once it was in every advertisement and trade opened back up, um, would have its renaissance in the early aughts here and become, you know, probably the go-to drink or, or the meter of a good bartender or cocktailian. Yeah, this is the, I think uh, there's two litmus drinks that I, uh, that I have when I go to a cocktail bar that I've never been to. Um, and they are this drink, the Negroni. Uh, and a daiquiri, right? Two very simple, very different drinks, obviously, but very simple to uh, to acquire the ingredients for, pretty simple ratios to deal with, but lots of room for error. But at the same time, I'd still say, I don't, th- I don't know that I've ever had a really terrible daiquiri either, right? But I can measure up the bar and the bartender if I can get a well-balanced Negroni. Or Have you ever had a Negroni daiquiri? <laughs> no, but I don't think that that wouldn't work. I don't think for one second that wouldn't work. We could batch Negroni into a bottle and just have it all set and ready, and then we could have uh, we could add maybe maybe we would cut the lime juice with 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 some orange juice and 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 reduce the sweetener and shake it up. I don't think that wouldn't work. We'll do a future episode about the daiquiri, and you will be back making one. The daiquiri, yeah, daiquiri. I love it. You've heard it here first, and. I just want to thank uh, Gary Gaz Regan, Naren Young, Southern Teague, Campari, 
Negroni Week. And again, go to NegroniWeek.com because throughout the nation, there are amazing things happening at bars, but it's also to support good causes, too. Um, You know, it it is... Do good while being bad. It is. It's a stiff drink, but it it really, um, you know, pays it forwards. Um, Again, you know, go out, enjoy Negroni for what it's worth. Start a story, uh, you know, gain a rapport with a bartender, make it at home. It's versatility, you know, it's it's multiplicity of ability to be in any point of life, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, as well as just what makes Negroni a Negroni. Yeah. If you don't like your Negroni as it is, tweak the recipe. There it's, it is. It's, it's yours. Well, I'm loving what you made for me, and if you want Southern's Negroni, stop by. Yeah, please do. <laughs> You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkell. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. A big thank you to Alaska Seafood for sponsoring. Music by Cookies and David Tatashore Engineering. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.